Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad you're here today. If you're looking to worship God, you'll see a couple announcements. Um, baby dedication announcements there. If you're interested or have a grandchild or a child, um, please read that because there's important information for you. Also, men, the Sons of Thunder, and then ladies, the Come to the Wells coming up. And so you can see those information and that information. Men, we do need you to sign up for that because we're ordering barbecue. And uh, we need to make sure we order enough. And um, it is good to see Josh Warren graduated from the University of Mobile this weekend. He's only got 96 hours to go in his master's degree and then, then his doctorate. Another 10 years, you'll be done. So. Um, the executive pastor, 33 years at Crosspoint, Steve Parr, is here. He just retired, and um, first Sunday, he come to hear the gospel. He's been listening to Ron Whitley all those years, and he's finally coming to hear it. So, Steve, we're glad you're here. Congratulations on your, on your retirement. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks today? Tomorrow, I think. I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? graduating in um, college and are out. Um, Mr. Taylor Gilbert's turning, is it 90, you understand? He's got a hearing aid off because I'm preaching, so he's, uh, <laughs> happy birthday, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's good, that's good. I've noticed some people with hearing aids, y'all turn me, as soon as I get up to preach, I'll start turning it off, I understand. So, uh, Let's, uh, let's pray together, and then, well, first of all, let's do our call to worship. It's a brand new one for this month um, out of Isaiah chapter 6. It's a great reminder of who we're worshiping today. So read it out loud with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We get to worship him today. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in prayer and then our scripture reading? Um, there he is. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we come before you and just confess as we just said, you are holy, holy, holy. We praise you, and we thank you that we can worship you. Lord, as we come before you, our King, we have many different levels of abilities, levels of economic abilities, spiritual abilities, physical abilities, and talents. But we all have one thing. We can give you our heart. We can give you our worship. So I pray from the reading of your scripture all the way through the singing the preaching, and then, Lord, coming to your table 
that everything would be done for your glory and that we would worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. We pray this in Jesus' name. morning's reading is from Esther uh, chapter 4, 12 through 17. The dog licked my glasses, so I can't really see. <laughs> and they told Mordecai that Esther, what Esther had said. And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your, and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found at Susa, and hold, <clears throat> hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, that I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Stand as we join our voices in worship and singing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hymn number 242.
these songs that we sing, we just need to listen to the word because sometimes we get too familiar with them. We don't really, really, they don't really go to our heart. Let me read this hymn this morning that we're doing. It's Lead Me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let's sing it now. Lead me to Calvary.
I've always said that the reason that Paul described himself as the chief of sinners is because he did not live long enough to meet me. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the great roll call of faith. And we look in that book and we read and we see people like Enoch who walked with God and then he was not because God took him. But if you keep reading that list of people, you will see in there an array of sinners. You'll see murderers a couple of times over. You will see liars, harlots, thieves. And the best part about reading Hebrews chapter 11 is not just the roll call of faith. It's that the very grace of God saved and used those sinners to fulfill his kingdom just like he can use you and me. This is one of my favorite songs and I, I struggle with this song and yet I sing it many places and yet I struggle in my heart for I know that I am certainly not worthy of the grace that God gave me and I know where I would be without it. Time measured out my days Life carried me along In my soul I yearned to follow God But knew I'd never be so strong I looked hard at this world To see how heaven could be gained Just to end where I began where human effort is all in vain. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to with my salvation up to me, I know how that would go. All the battles I would face, forever running but losing the race. Were it not for grace So here is all my praise 
expressed with all my heart. Offered to the one who took my place and ran a course I could not even start. But when he saw in full just how much his love would cost, he still went the final mile between me and heaven, so I would not be lost. Were it not for grace, yes, I can tell you where I'd be. Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me I know how that would go And all the battles I would face Forever running and losing the race were it not for grace God's grace were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be I'd be wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. I'd know how that would go. And all the battles I would face forever running but losing the race were it not for grace were it not for grace forever running but losing the race were it not for grace, God's sweet grace. Amen.
all those boys, but we know who's in charge, don't we? Come on out of that room. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and thank you for your grace. We thank you for the mercy that you have displayed to us, that you display moment by moment. And we come before you, Father, for whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings. We pray, Father, that Christ may dwell, that he may be at home in our hearts through faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is your love. That love that surpasses knowledge and that we somehow, as Paul prayed, we it's beyond what we can imagine, but that we might be filled with the fullness of you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would enlighten our eyes, that we might understand it. And as we come to James, we pray, Father, that you might teach us that we might grow in you. You know the needs that we have. There are many. We lift them to you. We pray, Father, for Rita that that you would bring healing to her and some relief from the pain. We pray, God, for A.L. We thank you for his ministry here. and We pray that you might heal his body and you might relieve him. We pray for Scott Fields and thank you for successful surgery. But we ask, God, that you would help us, him as he grows and he gets stronger. We, we pray for little Camille and continually pray, Lord, that you would be with her at such a young infant age that... God, you would protect her heart and that she would grow strong and recover. You know the many other needs we have. You know those in this room who are mourning, those who are hurting, those who are rejoicing. So help us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and pray with all prayer and supplication for the saints. Bless now the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. And prepare us, Lord, as we come to your table, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the last two verses of James chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And I'll just remind you as you're turning that in verse 19, James tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And last week, we saw him dealing with being um, slow to quick to hear. He talks about that being not just doers of the words, or not just hearers of the word, but doers of the words. And now he comes, and let's look at verse 26. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Just these two verses. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. So in the last few weeks, we've covered a lot of ground. And I just remind you of what James has said. He spoke of new birth in verse 18. He said it was God who brought us forth, and he did it by the living word. 
in verses 19 through 25, he tells us and shows us how we're to live that new life that we've been given. That the Word of God's been implanted in us, and he tells us how we're to live it out. It's interesting. He, he tells us, don't just hear the Word, do the Word. Do what it says. Take the Word and look in it like a mirror and see what needs to be changed and, and dig into those changes. And by, this, by the Spirit, change your life where you need to change. And he tells us at the end of verse 25 that if we do that, we'll live a blessed life. So we see the new birth that God gives us. We, we see the means to growth in our new life. And now James turns around and in these two verses, he shows us what that new life that we've been given will look like. This is what the new life that's in Christ should look like. He says, we, we're to be quick to hear. We talked about that in verses 23 and 24. But we're also to be slow to speak. And James will talk about that here in our text. One of the commentators, his last name is Moiter, points out that James shows us three truths about our Father. First, he cares for the helpless. Second, he gives the word of truth and he saves us. And thirdly, he, he, his purpose is holiness. So he cares for the helpless. He gives his word of truth and saves us. And his purpose is holiness. The purpose in his living, his existence, is the purpose in our existence. But James also shows us then, as we go through this book, three marks of a child of God. The tongue is controlled, what we say. That we have a caring ministry, and that we have a holy life. That will be developed throughout the rest of this book. The tongue is controlled. We saw that in verses 1 through 26 of this chapter. Um, or a caring ministry in verses 1 through 26. We see a controlled tongue specifically in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then in verses, chapter 3, verse 13, all the way through chapter 5, verse 6, he talks about a holy life. And so we come to our text in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious. Now just stop there. He says, don't be fooled. Don't assume. If anyone thinks he's religious, make sure. Make sure your actions follow up what you say you believe. Don't just say it, do it. And make sure that you're living according to what the Word says. James shows us true religion is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. True religion is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. Religion is not manifested in what we say we believe. It's manifested in what we do as a result of that belief. And you see that all the way through the Bible. James gives us in our text, these two verses, he gives us, he gives us three tests. Three tests to look at our religion, to look at, at how we walk with God, to look at our relationship with Him. He gives us these three tests, and, 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 and while these are not a summary of all that worship is, know this, if your worship doesn't have these three things, James says, it's worthless. And we'll see what that means in just a moment. So this is not all that worship is, but if you don't have these three things, he says, your profession, your religion is worthless. So James gives us three areas. The first one is our words, our words. 
You might want to put our mouth or our tongue. He's, it's our words. And he says, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. In chapter 3, James compares the tongue to a horse. He says it's powerful and it's strong. It's ready to run. He says, though, it could be controlled if you put a bit in a bridle and you train it. And just as a horse can be controlled with a bit and a bridle, James tells us the tongue needs to be controlled in our life. The tongue simply reveals what's on the inside, doesn't it? Somebody says something, well, I didn't mean to say that. Well, yes, you did. A number of times things come out of my mouth, and, and, and it's, it's a revel revelation of what's in the heart. It's, it's, it shows us who we are. Listen to the words of Jesus. These are strong words. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I've been meditating on these the last couple of weeks. It's, it's, it's changed some prayers in my life about my own words. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's Jesus. On the day of judgment, we will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Those are strong words. And they come from Jesus himself. It's a reminder that we look at our tongue, we look at what we say. James will criticize those who flatter the rich and humiliate the poor. He'll criticize those who, who wish someone well but never lift up a hand to help, who claim faith but, but have no deeds to, to prove it, who, who praise God one moment and curse the next, who, who chide and slander their brothers who make boastful plans as if they can do whatever they want. James will come against that. He, he deals with how we speak and what we say. Someone's estimated, and I don't, I don't know if this is the total amount for, for girls. As a father of four daughters, I'm not sure that, that this is the total amount, but someone estimated that an average person speaks 18,000 words a day. I'm pretty sure my girls spoke more than that growing up, okay? 18,000 words a day. It's the equivalent of a 65-page book every day. So every single day, on average, we speak 18,000 words, and every week we, we give the equivalent of a 450-page book every week. People read our book they listen to the book of our life. They hear what we say and they see what we do. And the question we have to ask is, what do they see and what do they hear? Do they see and do they hear that we are followers of Jesus? As we'll, as we'll see later in chapter 2, that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. James says true religion will not just impact what we do, that we'll be doers of the word, but in doing the word, it will also impact what we say and how we say it. Makes sense that he tells us all the way up in the previous verse to be slow to speak, doesn't it? 
be quick to hear and slow to speak. In verse 26, let's just look at it again. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That word worthless is a word that was used in, 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 in many places that spoke of the meaninglessness of idolatry. And so the word worthless was, was speaking of how, how foolish it is to worship an idol where you cut down a tree and half of it you make kindling, kindling for your food and to cook your food and the other half you form an idol with your own hands and then lay down and worship it. And he says, that's worthless. It's worthless. And so when we think about that, James is saying, because he uses that word worthless purposely, he says you can do all the right things, but if your words don't match your actions, your religion is no better than idolatry. If our words don't match our heart and what we claim our heart believes, he's saying that, that it's no better than pagan worship. Again, those are strong words. Check your, your mouth. Check your, your tongue. But then he gives us a second test. It's our hands. What we do. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Now let's just stop there for a moment. The, the word pure, it speaks of being clean. The word undefiled speaks of being without contamination. Those words were used in the Old Testament to speak about the sacrifices that you made. The animals that you brought were to be pure and uncontaminated. They, they, it's interesting that, that James, you look at that verse, James is the only one in the New Testament who, who uses the word religion like this. We stay away from the word religion. I, I do. I, I talk about Christianity being a relationship. But James is the first book written, and he's writing to Jewish people who understood the sacrificial language that he's talking about. When we look at this and understand that that word religion there is, is, is usually in the New Testament another word that speaks of godliness and speaks of holiness, the way we live our lives. James is, again, writing to Jewish believers and familiar with the temple sacrifices. They're familiar with proper sacrifices and proper worship in the Old Testament. And now James is applying that into their own life now that they've been saved. He says, religion that's pure, they understood that. The animal had to be pure. That's undefiled before God. They understood that. It couldn't have contamination. It had to be perfect. He says, he said, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, you've heard this. It's, it's, it's almost so cliche that I, I, I almost refrain from using it. But, but you don't just talk the talk, you what? You walk the walk. Maybe it's not cliche. Do you remember that phrase? You don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. You, you do what you say you believe. Our belief must control our tongues. That's what we just saw. But it also must control the hands and the way we help others. James chooses the neediest people of his day. The orphan and the widows. The neediest people. In James's day, there was not abundance of jobs available for widows. There was not an abundance of jobs available for orphans. 
There were no social programs to help him like we have in our own country. He speaks specifically of those widows and orphans who are in affliction. They're in distress. True religion meets the needs of the needy. Not just the widows and not just the orphans, but all the needy. I wish, I've said this before, I wish you could just come and be a fly on the wall in the office during the week and see the number of people that our church helps. To see the people that Linda and Priscilla and Corey help week after week after week. As Sandra's involved in helping week after week after week. I wish you could see it. It's constant. It's always there. In Exodus 22, 22, the Bible says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 14, 29, And the Levite, because he has no portion of inheritance with, with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, that's the refugee, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your town, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Those are just three verses in, 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 a, in a group of verses that are far outnumbered that. You, you go through the Scripture and you see it. It's just a small portion. But James says that, that true religion visits the orphan and the widow. That's, that's more than just stopping by to say, how do you do? When he talks about visiting, it's, it's showing up and helping in any way needed. I, I noticed the flowers today were given... Um, by, the, by Greg and, and uh, the name just slipped me, I'm sorry. Um, but, but most of the gossips that were on there, and I thought, of, I thought of Bill. How many times I drove around town, and there's Bill mowing another yard. One of our widows, one of our church members, somebody who's not even in our church who had, who had need. You think about the men in our church who you drive by and they're building wheelchair ramps and they're doing other things to help. It's, it's not just stopping by. It's, it's helping in any way needed. It's, it's interesting that at the great judgment of Matthew 25, when, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, he talks about to both of them of being hungry, of being thirsty, of, of being a stranger, of being naked, of being sick and in prison. And it comes down to this. The, the difference between the goats and the sheep is, is what they did and didn't do. The righteous did it. And when they did it, they did it unto him. Because they said, Lord, when did we feed the hungry? When did we clothe the naked? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. But he turned around to the goats and he said the same thing. And they said, Lord, when, when did we see you naked and didn't clothe you? When did we see you hungry and didn't feed you? And Jesus said, to the extent that you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. God has called us to, to be a people that meet the needs of those who are hurting. This is not a political issue. This is a church issue. It's a biblical issue. Something that God has called us to do. Check your words, he says. Check your hands. And then check your heart. 
check your heart to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word to keep implies a continuous action. One writer said it's a perpetual obligation. We must constantly, Colossians 3 and Galatians and all of throughout Paul's writings, we must constantly put off and put on. We must constantly keep ourselves unstained from the world. Constantly be aware of the, of the sin that tries to drag us down. We can accomplish outward acts. We can, we can do social justice all we want. But listen to me. We must stay holy. We must be like Christ as we do it. We live in a world that calls evil good and good evil. A world that is increasingly becoming more and more polluted and turning away from the things of God and, and from God himself. Just reading yesterday comments made by a school board because they wanted to cut off a, a traditional Christian college from using their student or using the college students to, to do their student teaching inside the high school. And, and, and those school board members were, were just berating the Christian values of that school. They didn't want them there. It's like they had the plague. We constantly see this. They're turning from God himself, and yet we're, we're to be light in the midst of darkness, and, and we're to refuse, though, not only as we go out to be light, we're to refuse to let the darkness overcome us. We're to be holy and unstained by the world, but, but we have to constantly watch because the world wants to stain us. Sin wants to attach to us. I'm going to be honest with you, as I studied this week in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed there's much work for me to do here. I'm praying about my sarcasm. I'm praying that God will help me to be pure in what I say and meet the needs of those who are hurting. I'm thankful for our church. I, I, I read these passages and I thought about a couple of things. I mentioned some already, but... You know, when you give to the general budget of our church, you, you help in many ways. For example, we were in the top 10 of giving to the Alabama Children's Home this past year, and we just give a small portion of our budget. But as we give to the Alabama Children's Home, we help support orphans. We help support families who are going through drastic, drastic changes. You're able to do that as we give to that. We, we give to the budget and, and, and give to our community missions. Those people that come into our office, we're able to help them have power when it's hot and, and need an air conditioner or, or get heat when it's cold or get gas to get to a doctor's office or help provide prescriptions or, or sometimes just to provide diapers for a child and food. We're able to go and help with people like that. Our deacons minister to our widows and and many of our Sunday school classes do the same. We, we feed them with, with, with the love and care ministry. And it's an incredible ministry monthly where they go and help. And, and I know my own father looks forward to that meal. Looks forward to somebody dropping it off and visiting. 
we give to the free medical clinic that's about to celebrate a, 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 an anniversary right down the road. Annette is here, and if you were interested in being involved in that, she would love to tell you how you could be involved in the free medical clinic. We give to the love pantry. I promise you, Bob Osborne can put you to work in the love pantry. We, through the love pantry, partner and, and support other ministries like Anne's New Life and other things that we do. We, we support the well house that, that deal with people who have, who have been trafficked in. And, and we, we, we do a lot of ministries through the budget that you give. I'm proud of what we do. And I hope that you see the value of giving through your local church. But the question we have to ask is what else can we do individually, not just corporately as a body? What can we do as the body? What can you do as a Sunday school class? And, and what can we do? Can we volunteer? Can, is God calling you to join other members of our church who provide foster care? Make sure it's a calling. We have families here in our church that do that. We, we, we do it, and, and, and we need to support it. Can your family seek to minister to those who are around you and who are in need? Can you provide help through our schools? One of the things we're trying to do, and Chris is talking to some, some people over at Iola because it's the closest school to our, to our church, is how can we partner with them? How can we help them? How can we help those children? Maybe you could volunteer at the Love Pantry or the medical clinic. Take the test that James gives you. Look at your words. Look at your actions. Look at your heart. It's interesting to me, as I was studying and I realized that today was the day we would come to the table, it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul addresses the Lord's Supper, but he chastises the Corinthian church. It would seem that they were showing up and, and those who had food were eating and, and drinking, and, and then there were others showing up who who didn't have food, and they were going without. They're going exactly against what James is saying in our passage. And so James chastises, and, and Paul chastised. He chastised them. He said, "This eat at home. Because when you come to eat at the Lord's table, and you take advantage or ignore the poor who have nothing, he says, you're then eating and drinking in an unworthy manner when you come to the table. When you're not caring for the brothers and sisters, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself, he says in Corinthians. Paul tied, Jesus tied what we do to others to him. Paul ties what we do to others to how we minister to Jesus and how we minister as the body of Christ. So this morning, I, I want us to come to the table. I want us to consider what the Bible tells us to do to examine ourselves. If you would turn over to 1 Corinthians 11 for just a moment. Paul talks about it in verses 17 to 22 about how they were eating and one goes hungry and another gets drunk. He's chastising him for that and he comes back and he comes to the Lord's table. And we'll read that in just a moment as we come in, into the elements. But 
he received this the night that Jesus took the bread. And then he says, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Look at verse 30. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It is a table of grace. It's a table of grace. But you don't presume upon God. The psalmist says, keep me back from presumptuous sins. We come to him with a heart that, that examines ourselves. I just read a book by one of the Puritans on 12 ways that you can examine yourself before the Lord's Supper. And I'm not going to go through those 12 things, but I do think it might be really good for us just to take a moment to examine ourselves on the test that James gave us before we come. So would you bow your heads just for a moment? Even before Donna begins to play, in just a moment of quietness, think about what Jesus said about our words. Have you told a joke that you wouldn't tell from the pulpit? Have you said something about someone behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face? Have you said something to someone's face that you wouldn't say if Jesus were standing there? Have you ignored the hurting? Have you ignored the needy? Do you find contamination creeping in? The world being more prevalent in your life than the Word? Would you ask the Lord to examine you? If the Spirit shows you sin, confess it as sin and repent. Make it a prayer that the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart would be pleasing to God. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as you love yourself. Prepare yourself. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prepare yourself and receive his forgiveness as you confess and repent.